You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Katie Burke, and welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. Today, I have another host joining me, and that is Mike Brazier. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Katie. It's great to be here. I asked him to join me because we have a very special guest on the show today. Well, at least special to me. And that person is my dad, Dr. Ronald Robertson. Welcome to the show, Dad. Glad to be here. Glad to be asked. My dad is a senior flyaway vice president for Ducks Unlimited Region 8. He's been a Ducks Unlimited volunteer from very young age and is still going strong as a senior board member. So we're going to tell the story, your story, of how from waterfowling all the way to being a senior uh, board member. So first I'd like to know, which I don't know the whole story, but how you got into duck hunting to start. It's a long story. Like I've, we've been talking earlier, it's almost just genetics. You know, I grew up in the Mississippi Delta. My dad farmed. And uh, the first place that we ever hunted was uh, on farmland that's now in the refuge system. And uh, I can remember when I was about seven years old, my first hunt, and we're sitting in the blind and, you know, keep your head down, be still, don't look up, there's all this stuff. And, and then all the guns go off, and then I get to go pick up the birds. That's kind of my duck hunting experience as a young man. But as a volunteer, it amazes me to see the people that are involved with Ducks Unlimited. And I can't really understand why they have that passion because I don't think they grew up with their toes in the mud like I did, seeing thousands upon thousands of waterfowl, waterfowl, you know, just in, and the, the hunting that I had was just so amazing. But, you know, from there, you know, you get my first gun was a, Little little Browning humpback, little Belgium, and uh, twenty gauge, twenty gauge, yeah, and uh, that was my first gun. And uh, you know, I can. Dad used to dump us kids off. In the, basically, I learned later in life, we were out there to stir the birds up. So <laughs> Wait <a minute. laughs> we were we were out there to keep them from light in the rice field, <laughs> and so they would go to the timber where they were all having a really good hunt. So we were basically we did we were just glad to be out there. And of course, we always got wet and we always you know came had misadventures. A bunch of young guys out there, twelve, thirteen years old, and uh, you know. But that's every time I got to go, it was just okay. This is what it's all about. And, you know, from there, uh, I was lucky enough 
to um, have a lot of support around me, uh, lifelong uh, friends of my dad that kind of, if if dad didn't go, they'd come get me. And so, you know, it was just kind of special. An old guy that uh, that blew a D2 old, first duck collar ever, he gave it to me. First one I ever blew, learned how to blow it. But the bad thing about blowing those old Cajun cane calls by Fox and those old D2s, you had a lot of wind. And you don't transition into the new calls very well. So I still blow a D2 old. And uh, a few years ago, the kids found them online somewhere and they bought me five or six of them. And, I, you know, it's like, don't touch my duck calls. <laughs> <laughs> That's because they don't make them anymore. But, uh, and, you know, from there, it's just, it, it's all, it's been a, I can remember calling in my first, I mean, the thrill of calling in your first Drake Mallard is, it just, you just can't imagine, you know. First time that you're with a bunch of adults and you get to call and they don't tell you to shut up or they don't, we have an old expression that when somebody's blowing a duck call, we say, let me see a call. Let me tune it a little bit. And that's when you take it apart and you throw the reeds out. And, <laughs> <laughs> so I knew when they finally let me call, I, okay, I, I have matured as a duck hunter. I actually get to blow a call with these men that have hunted their entire life, probably 40 or 50 years, and they don't tell me to shut up or they don't try to tune my call. And, you know, that transition from there and into college, uh, you know, every had long Christmas breaks, we'll hunt every day. I'd, I'd use half of my college money just on shotgun shells so I could... And the other half on beer? Mm-hmm. Because you did, went to Ole Miss, did, right? Didn't drink a lot of oh, beer. Okay. I was more of a... <laughs> I was more of a brown brown, brown liquor kind okay. of guy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we, by... By you don't those drink old, much beer now either. No. So, yeah, <laughs> by, 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 those old, by those old glass uh, quart Cokes, pour half of it out, pour the other half pint into it, and you look like you're yeah. drinking Coke all the time. Sure. You know the trick but, well. But uh-huh. that's what we did. But, you know, I, I had a lot of friends. All my friends hunted hard, and we hunted hard every day. I, you know, and we knew everybody. That's before all the, all the duck clubs were around. And I knew all the farmers. I grew up with all of them. We'd ride around, we'd see the birds, we'd go to the house, can we hunt? And a lot of times we didn't mask because we knew them so well and it, we knew where they hunted and they didn't want to go slog in the mud and crawl out there and lay down in the bushes and everything like us young guys did. So, And that, the hard thing about this, people don't understand, that was before there were four-wheel drives, before yeah. there were Rangers and Polarises and, and all that all that stuff. I mean, it was just... You had to walk. Oh, it was a mile and a half. I'm sounding like somebody walking a mile and a half up, <laughs> up, uphill both ways to school. It, my dad had that 16th section, uh, and then that the land he owned below it that's in refuge now from the, as we call them, artesian whales, we, from the whales in the delta. We'd park at the whale road, and that was last place. So it's a half a mile across the section, and then a half a mile to the end of the section, and then a half a mile to the duck hole. And that was, as we called it, our our decoys were the old hard plastic croaker sack, you know. Pile them all in there, clanking, noisy, no straps, no whatever, not backpack. On your shoulder, your gun, your shells, and we had a lot of shells. And and off we go. And we did that after school every day. After school every day. We'd get there just in time. To, to get have some shooting right before shooting hours were over with, and then pick them up, walk it back out, 
and get home at you know seven o'clock. Yeah, times are times are definitely different. Yeah, uh, and then there's the other. You know, you talked about how you would drive a certain distance and then walk a mile and a half. Then there's the other people, like some some that I went hunting with. They would drive until they got stuck, and then you'd walk the rest of the way. <laughs> and, so, interesting story about getting stuck. Uh, the homie, which was you were, we were talking about earlier, and uh, it used to be a private hunting club, and uh, Dad and all his his brother and his best friends and everything, we'd go down there hunting, and and uh, they were heading into the woods one day and they got stuck. Okay, run the hunt. Everybody had to walk from there. So all of them got together, and they pitched all their money in. They drove up to Cleveland. They bought a Jeep. Bought a Jeep. <laughs> and uh, they get the tires on it and everything. Down there and everything. Here we go. Here comes the hole up front where we got stuck. Into the hole we go. We went 100 feet. Got stuck. And uh, my uncle turned around, and my dad says, Well, I figured that cost us about... Three hundred dollars a foot <laughs> to get to get farther down the road, but but you know when you grow up in the outdoors like I did, and I you know, one reason I when I graduated from dental school and went back home is to be right to raise my children in that environment. I mean, because I couldn't couldn't not see them not having that available to them, and. At, on a daily basis, if it was, you know, if they wanted. And, and pretty much that's what it is. And still to this day, all the kids, one of our biggest gathering points is at camp. Uh, that's where everybody's going to be, you know. So. And your duck hunting passion left at least a significant impression on, on one of your one uh, of your kids. Uh, I know, uh, two. <laughs> it did, too. So my brother also is a big duck hunter. He's not. He didn't make his career out of it, but he's he's funding his duck hunting actually better probably than I am. <laughs> so he's, but yeah, he did. And um, so two out of three, it's not bad odds. Well, right. well my, my oldest daughter, she would go, but she would curl up in the back of the blind asleep. I mean, mm-hmm. but she did go. Uh, and, you know, from... I was lucky enough, like I said, to have uh, uncles and, and very close friends of my dad's that all, took me under their wings. And, and uh, when I got out of dental school, uh, dad, had, dad had bellied up in the farming business. And that's, that's how uh, the place became part of the refuge. And uh, <clears throat> Walker, uh, Mr. Walker the, was the uh, gentleman that uh, bought dad's place and, and, uh, and, Gave it back to conservation, to DU. And uh, I was lucky enough to be a district chairman at that time when uh, we had the dedication. And uh, and it was pretty special, you know, because I'd stepped on every dirt clot in that place when it was cleaned up and everything. And to see it go back to a purpose like that meant a lot to me. But, and I grew up uh, just fortunate to be in the outdoors and to see the things i can remember squirrel hunting in you know early november and duck season's coming up and you could hear the birds out in the rice field and it's warm enough that you could crawl down the rice levees below the below the rice and just crawl right up in the middle of just hundreds and hundreds i mean when you raise your head up it was it would look black there was so many mallards out there and and I can understand my passion for this. Uh, And I have, when I think about other people, I'm going, well, why? You know, and 
that's always been the strangest story to me. But when people don't grow up in it as immersed as yeah, let's say you did, yeah, and you know, and they still have that same passion. It's very, very. I think that's what's great about this organization. But my DU history started when we had a, we didn't have a chapter in my little hometown of Charleston at that time, and we had a very, very famous or infamous whatever Billy Joe Cross. Billy Joe Cross, love that man. He uh, had been uh, director of Game and Fish, and then he was our basically our first DeFever. In, in, now, in, DeFever is... Uh, director of Fundraising. Yeah. yeah. Well, excuse me. These acronyms yeah. are kind of... There are a few. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, and he was just a lot of fun to be around. And, but uh, my uncle would let me get his door prices and sell his tickets, and he'd take me to the banquet. So I never bought a ticket. I just, you know, I was basically okay go do this and we'll go to the banquet my first ticket i ever bought was in 1977 i was a freshman in dental school and we went to the jackson country club and that was way out of my element and uh i was sitting there for all my classmates and everything and and come to find out there were a lot of people in dental school that had the same had grown up basically like i had people from yazoo city and people from cleveland and greenville and and all those wow they did the same thing I did. And uh, I sat on my hands all night long because I'd spent all my money for the week on that ticket, and I was afraid if anybody thought I was bidding on something, I'd have to go sell my car or something. But Did you have a daughter at that point? No, not that not, yeah, not I was a yet. freshman. Okay. Uh, she popped uh, my junior year. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and from there, uh, I can remember going back to the events at Charleston, and the old reel-to-reels that we had and John Wayne and Bing Crosby and and just incredible, those people that you could, I don't know, I know they were actors, but it looked like they had a true passion for conservation and and, and, and that was pretty special. Yeah, and those were the old videos that you can still find on TV. They were the old reel-to-reels. Yeah. Reel John Wayne, Bing They're in the Crosby museum speaking too. Yeah, yeah, Ducks Unlimited, yeah. It was just, just amazing to see things like that because they were icons. Sure. I mean, and if an icon like that believes in this organization, okay, you know. Yeah. So from from there, you know, you go to your first event, and this is a hard thing I have trying to convince volunteers today is, as you try to give them direction or imagination or, or find a way to be better at what they do. I was attended my first event right out of school, and uh, um, I'll go to the first committee meeting, and I wasn't even asked to be on the committee. I just wanted to go, and f- somebody finally asked me to do a job. You know, and you're sitting there wanting to do something, but we always one of the biggest problems that we have is we don't ask, and we don't we don't give give somebody something to do. And if you don't get if you don't ask and get them involved, then they don't stay engaged. And from there, I was an area chairman and. 82, uh, and from, you know, you just kind of move up through the ranks, uh, and then a zone chairman, then a district chairman, and then I, I got out of the U for a little while, still was an area chairman, but my kids were playing baseball and going here and going there, so you kind of back away from it a little bit, because family first, you know. But during that time, once I have an insider you still always did because I want to bring this up because it comes to be important later a lot of youth things still you were still you were a boy scout leader you did a lot of volunteer work the baseball field was a huge thing well I always said yeah I always said my kids weren't going to do without just because they were in a small town 
So I built some baseball fields. And uh, so they would have the same program I had growing up. Or and or Boy Scouts because I lost my, uh, my, my scout leader when I was a star scout. And I'm sitting there just like right on the verge of Eagle. And I made sure my son you know, had that advantage to, to take advantage of. And, and uh, he he and several others got your Eagle Scout. But you didn't leave it just to us, though. You helped a lot of kids along the way. Well. Let's be, I mean, <laughs> I, and I, not to, you know, brag, but like you took those Boy Scouts across the country. Well, you know. you ran that baseball field basically alone. Like you got to. It didn't just help your kids. It helped a He's lot of kids. He's being a little modest. He is. Yeah. It helped a well, lot of yeah. kids. <laughs> well, you, you sit there and you think about it. Uh, these kids, from where they're from, when are they going to get to see something like this? And so we did the Boundary Waters. Uh, we did Yellowstone and Badlands. And, and how many kids did you take? 50. And this was part of Boy Scouts? Boy Scouts. Wow. From our little town of 3,000. Wow. 50 kids. And it was it was a lot of fun, I you know. But I I think being an organizational guy with Ducks Unlimited kind of teaches you how to put the put the plan together. But um, it and all during that time, we always had a fantastic Green Wing event, and that's when I said, okay, always go over the top. What what'll happen if you go over the top with an idea? It just everybody just appreciates it and they get, they stay engaged, and we'd have you know we'd have seventy five to a hundred green wings, and at first I did it with just our little uh, community. Yeah, explain that event. I can't remember. I remember vaguely, but I was young. So well, what was that event? Because you created this event. Yeah, it it first started as as a like just a local event. Okay, it was like twenty five thirty you know, young people, kids. And I said, well, we can't do enough like that. So I said, and I was a district chairman. I said, okay, let's make it a district event so we can have 100, 125 kids there and we can get more people involved and we could bring in more activities. We could teach them how to shoot a bow, teach them how to, uh, you know, teach them how to shoot a shotgun, uh, have a little sporting clays, have have dogs brought in, teach them what, how it is to handle a dog. Uh, I taught them how to climb a tree. What the tree, what the what the tree stand? I said, look, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, and I and I and I and I actually let the stand fall out from under me and let the let the safety belt catch me. I said, that's why you wear this. And you know, I wasn't but three or four feet off the ground, but still, you're sitting there hanging there. And I said, and I said, guess what? You're usually going to be by yourself, so it's important you do these safety things. So we we did a lot of things like that, and. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We had uh, a lot of artists come in. We were lucky that we had artists in the Mississippi Delta at that time. We had photographers that were really talented, and they came in and, and did some unbelievable uh, presentations for us. And I, I think it not just was fun, it was educational at the same time. And I've always, uh, using has always been near and dear to me because, you know, that's our future. And... Uh, and I, it's it's a it's a great to see all the uh, young people that come out of the uh, Green Wing Varsity and University program that are actually coming into DU now and actually working for DU. But that that kind of jumps way way ahead of where I was. Like I said, I laid out for a while, and then I got back involved. And this was probably in the mid '90s. And uh, a good friend of mine was from. Uh, Raymond, Mississippi, Jack Moss, 
and uh, Jack and I, he taught me a lot about how to recognize uh, areas that you, you could improve and how you could, you know, he said, these are not our dollars. These are the ducks' dollars. We, we have to be... We have to be as efficient as possible and make sure that it, all this hard work is is for conservation. And he he taught me a lot about that. And uh, we would call ourselves. We were we became. I told you a little early when we were talking. We became the DU spies. We would he he encouraged me and himself to go to all the other state conventions in our area so we could see what they were doing, see what they were successful at, and see what they weren't successful at and we could take those ideas and incorporate them into our state to make our state more more successful so what was your position at that time when you first came back i was i was still a district chairman but then i was on the on the state council and and from there i went to uh state chair elect or we used to have a north and south in mississippi vice chair in mississippi because we didn't want to have um somebody that didn't know the ropes to lead the state. And, and so, Ronald, what year was that? Uh, it was 1999. I came in, Jack Moss had been uh, state chair before me, so I had a very good foundation, a uh, very good volunteer uh, base behind me when I started. And uh, back in those days, we to be a million-dollar state was, was a big deal, and Jack had done it and, you know, had some big shoes to fill. So, But we used to, before we had cell phones and everybody walked around with a tablet and... Uh, you had uh, all these uh, other things and Facebook and TikTok and all that stuff. We used to publish a quarterly newsletter, and the the state chair was in charge of it. And, I mean, it'd be uh, 16 pages. I mean, it wouldn't be something simple. And uh, we, uh, it was uh, published in Batavia, New York, because we had a very good uh, volunteer from New York that helped uh, subsidize the publishing of it. And we mailed it out to over 10,000 members every four times a year. From a guy that that can't put two sentences together on paper that, and be, politically, be uh, grammatically correct, that was, uh, I definitely wasn't the editor. But, uh, but we got it done, and it was a good learning experience. The best thing about it is you got to know the volunteers in the state. You got to see a lot of their personal lives because a lot of personal things can come forward when you do things like that. And so you really got to know who was out there, who could follow you, who could fill your shoes, uh, how, to, how, how to have a better state organization. So that really helped a lot. Um, when I went off as state chair, Jack Moss had gone up to what we call a regional vice president. In your region, you'll have a senior flyway vice president, and then you'll have uh, regional vice presidents that serve under him. Usually it's uh, two or three, and Jack was a regional VP. And it's always nice to have people on the board of directors. And, and I came on as an at-large VP after a year. Uh, I was state council chair after, which is you run the business of the state after I came off as state council chair I came on as regional VP and you serve in that everything I don't we really the board has really really changed over the last 25 years um, because the needs of Ducks Unlimited have changed so it had to uh, it had to change to to meet our to meet the demands of what our conservation efforts and uh, when you <laughs> 
you start doing these things, you get responsibilities. Like when you're a regional VP, you, you usually have five, six, maybe seven. Some people have eight or nine states in their region, and you, you're assigned certain states. And so you you're there you're there to help lead and help direct and and uh, and and to assist these uh, state chairmen to lead their states. And so you move into that area right there, and you get to go to state conventions, which we'd already done. So we were lucky enough that we had developed those relationships before we became a regional VP, and uh, you get to know a lot. A lot of great volunteers, a lot of past great volunteers. Um, John Tomke, uh, one of our past presidents, a fantastic person, great individual. He had a saying that's, well, I guess it'll never die in Ducks Unlimited. You come for the cause, but you stay for the people, which is so true. I mean, you're brought here by your passion, but you keep coming back because of the relationships and the and the and the commonality, the that you have with the individuals that are involved with Ducks Unlimited. And you see there, and it's, it's like a revival. I mean, it, it teaches, it, it, when you're having a hard time with certain parts of this organization, the, the, the family uh, supports you and, and says, okay, well, we, can, we can fix this, we can do this. And, and it's very, very important uh, this family that we call Ducks Unlimited exists because it... Uh, you know, you really know that you, you're making a difference, and it's so, so important. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. There's a lot that we could unpack there that you talked about. And, and as, as Katie introduced at the start of this, part of this is to hear the story about how a person goes from, from falling in love with waterfowl and waterfowl conservation to becoming a volunteer at, at, a, at a pretty high level. And so you mentioned the board, you mentioned the senior vice presidents, regional vice presidents, and there's all these other names that we've kind of thrown out. One of the things we've talked about with other guests is it makes DU, who, who it is and what it is, the role that the volunteers such as you as yourself play in this organization literally volunteers in the truest sense of that word you don't get your travel paid don't get your meals paid to attend all these state conventions national conventions anything of that nature you do it because it's it's important to you it's a passion for you and 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 your family and it's i want to go back to something else that you said we i think you credited jack moss as encouraging you and showing you how to always look for ways and areas to improve and so you can look at ducks unlimited and say yeah we're a really successful organization there's another saying out there that i'm not sure who to attribute it to but it's that success breeds complacency when you start doing good you, it's easy to just kind of sit back and say right, we're doing we're doing good let's just kind of keep doing this and it seems like it's 
it would be doubly challenging to not fall victim to that complacency if you're relying on volunteers. But maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe if you're always bringing in good, energetic volunteers, maybe that's what keeps it going. How do you view that? You know, the role of the volunteers in in being responsible for constantly pushing this organization forward to not become complacent. What do you attribute that to? And because DU has continued to to grow over the years, we've withstood depressions, we've withstood wars. How do you view all of that? Well, one of the biggest things that's left out of this entire equation is staff. The, the relationships I've had with staff over the years, I said the first individual that I got to know was Billy Joe Cross. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I spoke at his dedication uh, of his project at uh, O'Keefe. And individuals like Pete Coors were there, and Bruce Lewis, and individuals that I respect greatly uh, over the years, uh, both past presidents. And uh, I'm up on, the, up on the, the, the podium up there, and I'm getting ready to speak. And, and pardon my... A little bit of off-colored sense of humor here, but uh, first, my first lines is I'm sitting in between individuals like that, and I said, "I think I was a, I think I was maybe an at-large board member. Might not have been on the board at that time." And I'm up there, going to tell some Billy Joe stories, and I said, uh, "Have you ever felt like a turd in a punch bowl?" <laughs> but, I definitely didn't feel like I belonged on that podium with the rest of those people. And, uh, but they probably did. <laughs> well, they might have. But, I mean, and I presented. Uh, Billy Joe and my daughter were really, really close. And I presented Billy Joe. Yeah, this daughter came. This, this, yeah. I was there when he spoke. Yeah. I was a senior in high school. Did he look like a turd in a punch bowl? Like <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> but I presented. Uh, we, Katie came on I stage. I probably was just mortified <laughs> that he said it. <laughs> but Katie came up on stage and she did uh, some artwork. It was a it was a mallard and gave it to gave it to Billy Joe. And uh, I mean, he he always called her his little Katie, and. Uh, Yes, you sit there and talk about family. I can remember my kids, you know, Chris and Jen, two, three, four years old, up on the table, you know, bidding. We'd let them bid. Individuals like, oh gosh, Jackie Jackie Corson and Rodney Garrison, two of the best auctioneers that ever walked the face of this earth. That were just, you know. Uh, they always knew to look for your kids. Yeah, right. Just, yeah, <laughs> you know, take advantage of him, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it, things like that you just you just can't can't forget. I'm gonna digress a little bit and tell you about how lucky I was. I got to hunt York Woods for about 15 years, and now uh, one of our greatest uh, philanthropists, uh, Jim Kennedy, owns it. And and I, I I was sad when we lost it, but it was probably a very sad day. And it but, was it was good, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Good. Back in that yeah. time as yeah, well. I but, hunted it until I was 13. Yeah. But probably looking at it, the best thing that ever happened to it happened to it when he bought it because now I know that that legacy will always be there. And and the way clubs fractionalize and break up and this, that, and the other, it probably never would have uh, stayed together. And the best thing that probably – when I look at the place, I go, yeah, that's what God intended for it to happen. You know, that's, that's the best thing that happened because – it's just an incredible place. I was, uh, and you you take Mother Nature and, and, and our 
and this wonderful resource we have for granted sometimes. And I was so close. I was only five or six miles away from, from York, and so I'd go by myself all the time. And it was a bad night. It had, it had freezing rain all night long, and I don't live that far away. So I hop in, I get out there, and I'm up in the, we called it the ring of fire. We call it the ring of fire because it was a ring of cypress trees, and you actually moved around the trees according to the wind direction. So we call it the ring of fire. And I'm up in the ring the of fire. The ducks probably did too. Probably did too. But we're, uh, I'm, I'm up in the blind, and it's just, they're just, it, the, it, the sky was breaking breaking clear behind the front and, and low clouds were, were moving across and it was a hard north wind and the, the mallards are just, just dropping in in front of me. I'm not calling or anything. I'm just sitting there watching. And uh, I'm being real particular about what I'm doing. So I, I shoot a drake and then I shoot another drake. And uh, we used to have, that was on the point system at that time. And uh, you could kill uh, three if if you shot just drakes or if you had a hen, you had two. And so uh, that was the strangest math, though. 35 points and 35 points is 70 points and 35 points is 105 points. I said, you know, why didn't they make them 33 and a third? That way you could come out <laughs> with a dead 100 or something. <laughs> but, but, and I'm sitting there watching the birds by myself because I was through in 15 minutes, and it's just beautiful. And all of a sudden, the cloud, that little bank of clouds moved, and the sun came up, and that orange hit all that ice and all those trees, and it just lit up. I mean, it was just, I'm sitting there, oh, my gosh. I said, it just can't get any better than this. And this, I, I wish I had cell phones and cameras and things like that. I'm leaning back in the blind, a big old cypress tree right above my head. And, and I look up, and a bald eagle lights above my head. And I'm going, excuse me, Lord. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't mean to underestimate what she could do. But I, I just could not believe. In moments like that, without a gun, without anything in the world, can you imagine what life would be if you don't have moments like that? I mean, those are things that you'll never forget. It's like her first duck was right across was right across the river from York. We'd found the birds. It was youth weekend. It's like three in the afternoon. Uh, and <laughs> we found right, the birds right before, and we had to put them on our back to get them to the water shallow enough. And My and boy. I have I have a little cousin. Well, he's not she, anymore, but he's he's an adult. But at the he time, was, he was a chunk of lunk, and and. Uh, <laughs> And his dad didn't carry him. I had to carry him. I didn't understand didn't have, that. Unlike children today, we didn't have waiters, <laughs> so we couldn't walk ourselves side by side. <laughs> and uh, so I carried his, uh, and everybody killed a duck, but Katie hadn't killed one. And right, I mean, just like five minutes shooting time left, she knocks a hen mallard down. And I, I didn't want to shoot the duck, the cripple, because it, it was, and so I ran that duck for, 20 minutes before I finally caught it. But it was the most important duck of the day. <laughs> I could see her face over there every time I turn around. She's getting long-faced, and I said, oh, i got to get this duck. So I finally, <laughs> I, I finally got the duck, and then we then we took it to the taxidermist, and then he had a fire that year. And it burned oh, her. No. <laughs> no. And so she lost her first bird. Wow. But, but I, my, I had a grandson kill his first duck this year. I mean, things like that. Yeah. And then I had just a slot. Yeah. Well, I want to, before we lose yeah. that moment, I just want to say, you know, to you and everybody else like you that's listening to this i mean thank you for for doing that for putting katie on your back and my dad as well lost him a few years ago but it's that type of oh, investment yeah. from a from a parent a father a mother to take their kids out and invest that time in in this resource and so 
Thank you for that. We, yeah, we got I a think, good one out of it. I think of the Ring of Fire, like those moments. That has a lot of moments. Remember, we had this at Youth Hunt. It was probably like 10 of us out there. Yeah. And it was one of the rare, I do it a few times now, but it was the weekend before duck season, which was always great because there were so many ducks because no one had been shooting them. And then you bring a bunch of kids who can't shoot and you <laughs> sit them out there. But we're all in that Ring of Fire. We're all lined around and it's dark and we don't know what we're doing. And... I mean, it's like a tornado around that thing. And it's shooting time. And Dad's like, shoot. And no one we no one shoots. We just sit there because we're just like in shock about what we're seeing. And that's one of those moments that you just remember forever. And then finally we shoot. <laughs> it took a long time. But I mean, things <laughs> like, like I mean, those are those are things that when you raise your children and everything, that's what makes it, you know, you, you, things like that you'll never forget. But back to being a volunteer uh, and staff, uh, you know, I had I had I had Billy Joe, and then I had Curtis Hopkins, who was director of the SRO, that's re- retired from SRO and DU now. And uh, he office. was yeah, Southern Regional Office, excuse me. And he was my RD, my first RD, a regional director, and he was from Grenada, Mississippi. And uh, my office was right next to his father's uh, one of his stores that he owned, and uh, I became area chairman, and I don't even go asked for anything and uh dr hopkins uh father walks into my room walked into my office with a door prize he said here i know you're going to ask for one so <laughs> he brought it to me and individuals like that so from the staff uh, you know he knew his son was an rd and he knew that i was going to area chairman so he was there to help his son have you know help support me but uh, we develop relationships with staff and you can't just call staff staff because almost all of them volunteer. I mean, they all have the same passion that we have, and they all work for the same goal. And it is it is truly team DU. And we know things. Our our relationship with the staff it goes way beyond uh, working relationships. Or this is she's my support for this or that. Or he does this for me. It's way beyond that. I mean, it's it's family. I mean. We are, I mean, we're seamless. The staff and the volunteers are totally seamless. You can't look in a room unless you have a badge on or a name tag on and know who's a volunteer and who's staff. You really, really can't. Um, And to see the passion and the energy that our staff have for what we do encourages us to be the volunteers that we are because we know somebody always has our back. Somebody is always there for us. But it, as you move up, one of the one of the greatest jobs I've ever had in, in DU is uh, advisory senior for uh, youth and education. I mean, that was well, my passion. One thing I want you to talk about right before you get into that yeah. is the camps you did. Oh. <laughs> and, and what was your role in DU during that time and – what was your motivation for creating those, and what are they? Okay, I, when I was when I was a uh, regional vice president, I was trying. We had a, we had our central flyway. We had all the states up and down the flyway, and I was trying to figure out a way to introduce young people from Minnesota down to the coast of Louisiana to the Mississippi Delta. And so what my idea that I came up with and put the volunteers and all together and the staff is I would give two youth hunts to each state in the Mississippi Flyway. 
and it, it would they could come down here for two days, and it would it was their lodging, their you know their room, their board, their meals, everything, and they could come down here. And I said, y'all can give them away, you can wrap them away, you can sell them, you can give them to some uh, great volunteer, or whatever. And so they would all show up, and I'd have twenty six basically kids from all over the Mississippi Flyway and their parents because they had to have a parent. And uh, that we we ran that for about three or four years. And, uh, I mean, we'd have 100 people in a room that I did not, I didn't know from Adam and, and, and developing relationships with those people. I'd have little kids show up with brand-new shotguns coming out of the box and still had, you know, labels on their hunting clothes and, and – uh, and it was from one end to the other. The favorite story that I have coming out of out of that experience was a young man named Jesse James. Honest to goodness, yeah. Jesse James. <laughs> Did he live he, up to the name? <laughs> Jesse James was from <laughs> South Mississippi, and he was legally blind. Oh. And when he leaned down to sign in, he wrote in great big block letters about an inch tall, and he had really big glasses on and everything. And uh, I said, "Oh, this is gone." And he showed up. Well, that's not mom. That's not mom, or just not dad. He showed up with mom and dad and little brother. And I'm trying to house all these people. So I, here we go. Here's a whole room right here. I have to put them in and find places for them to hunt. And so that morning, I took him to the. We called it the Peabody, and uh, it great place. But he couldn't pick the birds up because there were too many trees and limbs and things like that. It wasn't wide open enough. So a great volunteer that we have uh, is Stan Huner from Alabama. He's a member of that club. And then a, 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 great, a great staffer uh, that was there that weekend uh, take this young man out to the blind, out in the open, wide open. And they put up a robo with the flashing wings, and he can see the wings. Well... They're calling. The birds come in, and uh, one of them. If, if one this of, story doesn't end with him shooting the robo, I'm going to be disappointed. No, no. One of, <laughs> one of them. One of them gets behind him, and the duck lights on the water. And one of them gets back there and lines him up, and and says, "Shoot!" He 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 got a Drake Mallard and a, a Drake Greenland nice. that morning. I mean, he shot him on the water, but and I, and when we get back to the lodge. Everybody, I mean, mom's crying, dad's crying, little little brother's mad, and uh, but everybody. <laughs> and I get a card. I save all the cards from all these kids. I got drawers full of them, and uh, he sent me a card. He told me he got his Drake Mallard mounted, and uh, so I called him. And I said, "Well, that's great, uh, Jesse." He says, "How what'd you, how'd you mount it?" He says, "I mounted it flying." I said, oh, that's, I like to see a flying mallard mount. He says, yeah, I can put my hands on it. I can imagine what it's like to see a duck fly. Wow. That's got to be pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) So, Katie, I have a question for you. You've asked your dad a couple of questions about about his involvement in kind of youth activities. And so, obviously, that means a lot to you. So, talk about the way you saw your dad and what that, you know, what that meant to you to see his involvement and and his investment, I should say, in not just you and, and his family, but other people, other kids. I mean, that says a lot about your character, but I want Katie well, to talk about that. 
it's part negative, part positive, unfortunately. <laughs> so, I mean, me and my brother always talk about, we used to get so mad at him because he would <laughs> win all this stuff and just give it away to other people and other kids. And we'd feel down about it because, you know, we were his kids. We're like, uh, Why are we getting it? <laughs> just like, you know, kids are self-centered. So that's <laughs> what we were. But I guess, let me think. Of, so it made me realize that it just, it didn't matter that we were, we didn't need it. We didn't need stuff. We didn't, it didn't matter. And it was more important that other kids had these experiences because we were getting them. Like we had it easy, you know, like we got to go. We weren't, we weren't, no, there was nothing holding us back to do these things. So it mattered that he supported, particularly in our town, a town that um, didn't always necessarily give back to us, but he always gave back to it. And it it just it taught me that there are bigger things than me in life, and um, especially kids. And that's like if you want somebody to you know do something later, you want to have it's important to get that message at them at a young age versus later in life. And you know, uh, the, I, I failed to mention I said staff. Chris Cole was the staff who still is on staff today, and uh, Chris Cole was an RD at that time, regional director at that time, I think. I think that's how it fit. But, I mean, that was a perfect example of both staff and, and volunteer. And, and uh, Stan had been a senior VP. I mean, he, he'd he been up and did a long-time volunteer, a great individual to be around. He still serves on on finance today. He's uh, And you're talking 30-plus more years than that, I'm probably 40 years. But that hunt went on for quite a while. I could tell stories about that if I had a glass of wine for a couple of weeks. <laughs> That's another but, one. Yeah, another episode. But uh, we, it, it got to where legally that we couldn't have it because we had to have uh, background checks on all the individuals where you're sitting there trying to hunt, you know, that many uh, young people and you're going to go where the birds are and, and then all of a sudden you have to have a background check so you can go do it. I mean, so we... I got with uh, excuse me. I got with the Mississippi Game and Fish, and uh, they took the program over, and it still runs today. So that program's been running for mm, twenty years, and uh, I hosted the first couple of hunts at my camp, and uh, just a fantastic time. You can't the the Mississippi Department of Game and Fish, uh, unbelievable uh, individuals that work for them, and. And uh, Houston uh, Havens is especially, I think he's one of the finest young men that they've ever had. And we have Ed Penny, who came from there, that works for us now. Ed was one of the one of the first volunteers I worked with a lot from the department. I'd and, be remiss if I didn't point out that both of those guys are Mississippi State grads. So. Oh, well. <laughs> it, Wrong audience, Mike. It's, it's, hard, it's hard for us. It's hard for us to teach anybody about waterfowl since we don't have a program. <laughs> but if we had one, and I'm sure it would be. But I mean, those individuals are just uh, <sighs> just that uh, the first dedication of a uh, legacy green wing project that we ever had was held over near Starkville, and uh, Ed was uh, in in the department was the waterfowl biologist maybe at that time and and uh, I can remember the Karen and everything and when we did the dedication over there uh, Trim Kane mm -hmm. yeah and uh, that was the first the first waterfowl project that we ever did and my children's name are, are on that project so that was done and uh, and just 
in you know in what the department's done with that hunt. I was I have a UPS driver. They they become friends, you know. They come by all the time. He had a young man that I took duck hunting last year. He was uh, 14, 15 years old. And he, he was a good shot. Yeah, he was. Oh, yeah, and he surprised. was. And he, uh, I mean, he 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 eats it up, you know. And I said. I know some people. I think maybe we could get you into this camp this year. And uh, and he he sent me a photograph and, and a letter and everything about it. And and it was really cool to see a young kid like that that wasn't expecting anything out of anything. He just loved the outdoors. And he got to go, and he just, his dad, every time I see him, he just... He told me he sent me a picture of his uh, of his son at his birthday. He got him a brand new, I think it's a Super X three Winchester. He says, cause I, I said, you know why he's shooting that that Super X, don't you? He says, because you shoot a Super X. <laughs> so, it's things like you that. You left an impression. You left an impression on that individual and many others. I'm certain. But but when I got to be advisory for Youth and Ed. Uh, I had been approached about it, and I knew it was going to take, you know, not two-year appointment. Just wouldn't do it. I knew it was going to take four. So before you start, what did Youth and Ed look like at that time? What programs were there and what weren't? Well, Just to give us a, an the, idea. The, the university program was there, and they had senior green wing, and then they had the, the regular green wing. It was a strong green wing program and, and a pretty active university program. And, and what time was this? What year? This, this was Early. 10, 11 years, probably. 2010, 2011, okay. Gosh. I was yeah. out of college. Oh, I, I think when it all started, maybe oh nine. Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. Something like so that. So fairly recent. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I knew it would take a, four years. And so God bless George Dunklin. He talked to uh, to Paul and and they, uh, Bonderson. Paul Bonderson was the and president at that time. He was president. Sir. He was elect. Okay, he president was elect. elect. And so they, they got together and got me four years. Uh, I could not have done any of this if it hadn't been for individuals like Will Johnson, who is an, uh, he's a director of development mm-hmm. for us now. South Carolina? Yeah, that's where he's from. Or he's North, back Car- or North Car- South he's Carolina. In the, he's in the, the southeast, southeast coast here. And uh, big, tall guy. So, you know, he's like 6'6", six, six, and I'm, I'm five-something. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I would make him so nervous. He would just... He would he would pucker up so hard he just couldn't hardly get. <laughs> he never knew what I was going to say when I had to do something. And uh, but that's Will, the way we are throughout this entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> and Will and uh, then uh, Mark Horvitz came on and and uh, and just you know Mark and I have a special relationship. We've known each other for so long. And uh, well, Will was my first liaison, and then Jeff Lawrence when Will when Will left, and they said. Well, Jeff's the only guy that can do this. So, and then as as uh, Jeff came along, then uh, I went off. When I came back on, uh, Mark became my liaison after a little maneuvering around here and there. But a few of the ideas, uh, uh, Will Johnson was really the architect of third term. I just pushed it really, really hard. And third term is just amazing. Uh, it's happening this weekend. And, and third term is where we get a lot of... It's, it's between, we're hoping, it's 
been over 250 uh, university leaders from across the United States representing between, uh, I think, over 50 chapters at one time. They come in for a weekend of seminars and um, just being with each other and, and learning what this this uh, chapter does and that chapter does and it's just it's just a great time these people really really network real well and now we even have uh, individuals here with a, with a job type fair and everything so they can you know talk to uh, corporations and things and uh, I'd be remiss uh, we were kind of stuck uh, not being able to grow until a corporation like Exalta came on and and supported us and it just allowed us to grow above 200. I mean, it's just a, you know unbelievable the support we've had. And uh, the university program is just, you know, it's where it's our training ground. It's, it's our future. It's everybody comes through it. And uh, we, we got that off the ground and got that going. And then uh, I didn't like the name Senior Greenwing. And so Will and I were talking. I said, well, everybody that's in high school or junior high wants to be part of the varsity. So mm-hmm. that's how it became varsity. Okay. And I said, and it gives them an identity. It yeah. gives them something they can yeah. tie into and relate to. And, and it's a really cool logo, by the way. Yeah. And they like that also. <laughs> and I didn't design it, but the, the art department here is pretty amazing. So, yeah. uh, I mean, they came up with that one. That one's that is by far the best one we've got. And then we start our high school chapters have just gone nuts. COVID, COVID hurt us pretty good, but it really it's coming back and it's coming back strong. In uh, the state of Mississippi, to give you an example, the varsity green wing and the university program contribute over 10% of the state income wow. to the state, over 10%. That's, and that's amazing. The 10% organic growth is not a bad thing, right? Oh, no, no. And uh, and then a, a, a chapter in Louisiana th- this year, Springfield, which is not far from where uh, my wife's from, they just had a high school event this year that was net-net uh, over $100,000. Yeah. A single high school event. Um, Ron Bartels, Ron and Jackie. Jackie's not with us anymore, but Ron's a... Hey, Ron. That's what he'd say. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, great, great, great uh, youth and ed volunteers. That's, I think a lot of that passion I saw was from them and everything they've done in their life. But uh, Ron went to a chapter in South Lafouche, and uh, he said, the most amazing thing I've ever seen is I went to that high school event, and people I haven't seen in an event in 30 years. Yeah. We're at that high school yeah. event supporting their grandkids. Yep. And he said it was unreal. You're uh, tapping into family. You're right. tapping into family support. It's a remarkable idea, fantastic idea. And it just, it just, uh, it, it's really, really grown. You know, I, I can't, I, the first state convention I went to uh, when I became a Y&E senior was I uh, went to the Carolinas. I went to North Carolina. That's where the varsity program started. Unbelievable varsity programs over there. And I went over to see the framework and uh, how the transitions worked and things like that so I could understand it better. And uh, I, it, those th- that was just a, a special thing to be part of. And from there, I said, okay, everybody thinks we're always just taking, 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 taking. And some of the schools resent part of that uh 
because they have to raise funds all the time also. So we came up with the scholarship program. And the scholarship program, it's 61 scholarships, $5,500 scholarships, 10 $1,000 scholarship, and one $10,000. And uh, I can't say enough about people like Luke Laborg. Uh, I mean, he's he. if it hadn't been for him and Peggy and Michelle Good and just uh, Peggy Sutter, and, and they, it just it wouldn't go. These were all educators. They understood mm-hmm. how to do this, and and we all had volunteers, all volunteers. Yes. They understood, and, and they worked their tails off to get mm-hmm. these all these applications and to go over them and to grade them and to and because these people are winners uh, out of a out of a large pool. And uh, the coolest thing you can ever do in DU is call a young person and tell them they they won a scholarship, but. Uh, and now, and it's almost fully endowed. You're talking about $2.25 million in five, six years that we've this, raised. When did the scholarship program start? It's less than— It's kind of fuzzy, five or six years it's ago. It's like five or six years right? Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, thanks to our directors of development and people like Chad— uh, man, Lou, he's a, he's a manager, uh, managing director of development. And all of our, all of our DODs, Rich, a director. Uh, I mean, all of them are just fantastic. They've, they've supported a lot, and you don't get things done like this without the support of the staff and and all the volunteers. And, and that's turned out really, really well. And uh, then from there, uh, great volunteer uh, came to us with the idea of. Uh, educational part of it and uh, ICEV is a program where you can earn credit by taking these courses and Tom Mormon on his own had nothing he developed this educational program and Tom is just he's, he's been on here a few times he he's is. just he's yeah. just I, I don't want to call a guy brilliant because one thing he, he's a brilliant he's a fantastic PhD but don't put a shotgun in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure he hears that. Uh, yeah, make sure he hears and, that. And so the, the ICV, that, I mean, it's a, it's a wildlife certification course. That's right. what it is, right? Right, right. And, uh, and it's a wildlife module within there. And it takes a, a complete volunteer staff effort because these things have to be accredited by the state before the, the teachers can bring it into their classroom. And the work that individuals have done to keep getting, adding state after state after state. Design. Now, you can take it independently, but uh, for these uh, educators to be able to bring it into their classroom, it, you know, it has to be accredited. And uh, I'm, I'm out of that loop a little bit now, so I really don't know, but it's really moving forward, and that's done well. And uh, after I left, Harold Cannon came on, and uh, they developed a program now that's called TRAP. It's a team assistance. Uh, it helps the team, the, the high school, the varsity uh, TRAP teams or shooting teams raise money to support their efforts because they have shells and travel, and some of the young people don't have guns. They don't have this. They don't have uh, things to be able to be a member. And so this is a program that is completely, uh, it, thank God for Reeds, God bless them, because uh, they help design these packages. Yeah, that can, Reeds, make sure uh, we're talking about who there. That is our one of our corporate uh, Supporters, arms, sponsors, arms, arms, manufacturer. arms, arms dealer, not, not a manufacturer, but a dealer. Dealer, right? they're 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 a sporting goods dealer, yeah. really. And so, 
they have worked with us with gun raffles and gun banners and things like that. But then they came up with a banner that can be used at high schools. It has coolers and fishing equipment and things such as that, uh, you know, uh, binoculars. I mean, all those kind of things. And so it is appropriate to bring into the high school arena, and uh, it's accepted. And uh, they came up with the trap program, and it allows these young people to raise $2,000 or more just off of one raffle. And the neat thing about it is it's not like having fruit and chocolate candy and this, that, and the other. The winner is drawn. The the gift is selected. It is shipped directly from Reed's to the winner of that raffle. They don't have to store anything, supply anything. All they have to do is sell the tickets and turn the name in, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, and that's and, another example of how we're helping to give back. You, you know, you talked it, about the importance. It's, it's of so that. important. All of a sudden, they have the easiest fundraiser and 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 attractive items. I mean, very very attractive items. And uh, I can't. Every time I think about it, I said. Those that was a one of our corporate supporters actually coming to our aid and coming up with something to help us out, and uh, it it means a lot to to the volunteers and staff. It's it's just a great thing. Uh, there's so many things going on in youth and ed right now. It's unreal. I mean, it's just a. Uh, and unreal. how many years were you in youth ed? Because you said you started for four, but it did, it was longer than four. Yeah, it wound up close to six. Uh, I came in and filled in for uh, our past president, Doug Schoenrock. And, uh, but the coolest thing that I ever did that gave me more faith in this United States was to go to an FFA national convention. I have ne- You all can thousands and thousands of young people yeah, and FFA tens of thousands. Uh, it's right. like thirteen or fourteen thousand. Yeah. I'm yeah. maybe more than that. Yeah. I can't. I think ima- it was more than that. I can't imagine. It's, it's just unreal. You walk in there, and everybody in there has a game plan. They're always they're talking about their future and how, what they're going to do. And they're like 14, 15 <laughs> years old. I, I was talking to a young man. They call him. He's a, he's a decor carver from Iowa. And unbelievable, we're like 14 years old. And uh, just, and I'm sitting there talking to him. He's, I said, well, this, that, and the other. And then he said, yeah, I'm buying my tractor from my granddad and whatever. <laughs> and I said, you're 14 years old, you're buying your own tractor. I said, okay. But I mean, you're sitting there, and every one of the young people that came by the booth, and uh, it, it's just, it's incredible the stories that they have and how. And such fine young people they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and, and DU has a has a growing partnership with right. FFA, and I imagine that's why you were there. That's why I was there. I wanted to see about it. Yeah. I wanted to see what it was and see how we could work with them. And 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 when you have a senior volunteer, they understand that sometimes it's pretty important that uh, what we're trying to build. And so it, it's and and the staff works so hard for that i mean that that is that's the hardest 3 days i mean they're long days and but the kids keep you energized they keep you going every one of them want that duck head i mean they 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 know our brand you don't have to educate them they know who we are and that's very important and uh, to and it's important for us to be there to show them that they're important to us and uh, you know in since then, uh, I went after youth and ed. I wasn't at large, and uh, then I came in. We had uh, a great volunteer, Steve Cook, who had got 
had an illness and I came in and took his place and and so I've been a senior flyaway since then and what I've done since then is uh, I've always thought it's important to develop relationships I want and communicate from the bottom to the top top to the bottom side to side whatever it takes because the people that are in the positions that I deal with right now have already been great volunteers they already know what DU is my job is to make them realize that there's somebody just like them sitting out there that can be the same thing, can be me, can be Doug, can be uh, Chuck. I mean, they can be president of Ducks Unlimited. And uh, it's important that they understand that they always try to engage when they're around. We're sitting there. Uh, COVID, you're talking about being complacent. What the staff did during COVID was the most amazing thing in the world, how they went non-traditional. And, I mean, we never skipped a beat. We never had to lay off an employee. I mean, it was just amazing. We came, I was, uh, Adam Putnam asked me, we were at a little round-robin thing they were asking about COVID. And he asked me about, and I said, I think we're going to be stronger because we couldn't just traditional just didn't wasn't going to make it we had to and when we came out of it we came out of it with so many more venues to to be successful and uh i mean we came out of it hiring positions in in development in non-traditional fundraising i mean it just all i mean some of the programs that were developed during covid were just our ability to do online auctions and online events and and uh it just, and I'm not talking little bitty events. I'm talking about strong fundraising events. And uh, the the biggest problem that we've had is uh, we lost our contact with our volunteers uh, because we couldn't we couldn't meet we couldn't we couldn't uh, recruit things like that. And so the biggest thing that we've got right now is uh, Lloyd Good. Uh, past senior flyaway from the East Coast. Well, he's from North Carolina. And Michelle was on the Education Scholarship Committee. He, they, they, he just had a dedication. I was at another event, and I couldn't go to it. I was upset because Lloyd is, he is a classic Ducks Unlimited volunteer. And he, I mean, he went up to, through senior, and he's still involved in emeritus. Emeritus board is people have come off the board. There's our, we call it the old folks' home for the board of directors. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you're not there yet. I've been on it. I was on it. I was on it for six months. <laughs> you said enough of this. <laughs> no, I got reappointed. But, uh, you know, if somebody gets sick, they plug me in. So, uh, but and uh, Lloyd's. Uh, uh, Julian Otley, we were on a conference. We were on a Zoom call my, uh, Tuesday night. And our big deal is recruit volunteers right now because we've got to rebuild our volunteers because without volunteers, we're not who we are. And uh, he told me that uh, his region went from, it doubled just by recruiting volunteers. And uh, I can't say it the way Lloyd said it, but uh, what's your game plan? And he said, like, Three three points. He said, "Recruit, recruit, recruit," <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "That's what we did." Yeah. And we doubled we doubled our net net. We doubled the amount of money our region made while while he was senior. And uh, 
And so uh, we were on a call the other night, and after I came off the call, we've been emailing back and forth all the state and everything. I'm going to have these little buttons made up that has just recruit, recruit, cr- recruit on it and give it to all our district chairman and all our, our state council people because I said, you wear that to every event you go to. I said, you don't have to say a thing. Somebody's going to ask you what that means. And maybe it'll start conversations because there's always that person out there that hadn't been asked. Yeah. Always. So, Katie, I have just one final question here, and I don't know I'll let you kind of close it out however you want to. And Volunteers, I mean, that's that's why you're here, Ronald. You're you're a volunteer. You're representative of thousands of other volunteers at all different levels, tens of thousands of other volunteers across this country, across this organization, um, past present and future and you know you also mentioned it's interesting that whenever we're talking to volunteers we say thank you for doing what you do for the organization without you we wouldn't be able to to have a career for this great organization contribute to such a great cause invariably the volunteer will then turn right back around and give the staff the credit for uh, equal credit for what the organization does. And I think that's one of the beauties of the organization is is the relationship between the staff and the volunteers. Many staff are volunteers or else got their start as volunteers. I fall into a couple of those categories. So you've been involved with DU for decades. What advice would you give if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking about volunteering? What advice would you give them? The best place to start is probably going to be at a chapter level. Uh, how do they get involved? Uh, what do you tell people? Because I know you've had tons of opportunities to tell people this exact advice, what it is. The main thing is to make it easy upon yourself, I mean, and realize that there's so many different things that you can do as a volunteer. Don't think that you you have to sell tickets or you have to solicit corporate tables or things such as that. There's things such as just, uh, you know, there's a lot of background that has to be done as far as looking through old old. Uh, membership list. Look, recontacting other volunteers. I mean, that you can you can do anything. I mean, we have so many different things that you can do, and you you have a talent that can be utilized. And don't think it's not. It, it, it your area chairman doesn't see that. Find you one that does, because we've got a lot of chapters out there. And uh, always find yourself a place that you fit and that you're comfortable at because not everybody wants to be the area chairman or the zone or district chairman or state chairman or or board member. They just want to give back because of everything that we've been given in this this fantastic country we have. I mean, and realize that what you're doing is – is, is, it's precious. We this, this resource that you're helping generate for us, we take it very, very seriously. Nothing's going to be wasted, so your time won't be wasted. So feel like when you volunteer that this investment that you're doing is is got an unbelievable return. It's not. It's not just. It's wasted. Not just wasted time. And realize that you can volunteer at any level that you'd like to. You don't have to be all in like an idiot like I was. You. You, you don't have to do that. You. You can. You can help in so many ways. And the friends and the relationships that you'll develop with like-minded individuals. Yeah will stay with you the rest of your life. Yeah. Whenever I was volunteering with the Lafayette chapter, um, I fell into. I, I didn't grow up in Lafayette, uh, and so I didn't feel as comfortable going out to do the fundraising to ask for the donations for items for the for the banquet or the auction. 
And so what I would do, and I it's eventually I got to the point where I had a few connections with a few businesses and I would ask for some donations and successful in that regard. But when I first started out, I wasn't comfortable with that. So what I would do is I would be one that would don't that would that would volunteer to set up at the banquet or to take down at the banquet. Manual labor is what I was I felt comfortable doing in some of those in those early days that freed up the other people to go and specialize in the things that they were good at. And so that's that's being finding something that you're comfortable with to start out with. I mean, that that's great advice. And I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but it, it is. And that's a great point. As a senior uh, volunteer, I, I've always said, never feel that any job that's being done out there is beneath you. It's like I'll go help set up. I'll go help do this. I'll I'll sit in the I'll sit in the merchandise room with the RDs and get to know them and work with them. And uh, it's it's just important that I mean it doesn't matter what role that you've had or where you are on the volunteer ranks. Every one of us know how to do that job. I mean because we've done it. And it's it's so important. It's just like I, I just hang, like hanging out with the guys and building those relationships. And uh, we've got uh, some of the staff, some <laughs> that that I mean, it's like I, in, in each region you have who I call the uh, the staff person that you can't do without. And Amy is the staff person. I think region four you can't do without because she takes care of all the area chairman and all their na- needs and everything. Amy Garahan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, and so, uh, and so it's like I said, Hey, don't bother me, bother her. <laughs> She's, I, I can just listen. She can get something done about it. And, and building, building those relationships when you sit down in those rooms and everything, uh, it's just important that, that you have that relationship. So when you pick up the phone and you call somebody, it's just like teaching an, an area chairman, that phone is always there for you. I mean, don't feel left out. And just, I mean, just always realize that you you can do, I was rolling a table across the floor the other day and it fell on my toe and I think it broke it. But, and I said, you well. You don't need to break your toe to be a volunteer. <laughs> you know, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. You know? <laughs> That's just how that goes. But, but you know, this is, this is such a great organization because everybody fits. Everybody has a place to fit. And uh, you're not going to be left out. And you're always going to be welcome. I have one final question, which you probably kind of answered. But you've talked about the whole time. Each role, have you switched in your life, like your whole longevity, you've had different roles and you moved to different places and not necessarily always used an ad, but we didn't talk about the shooting tournament and all that, but SHOT Show, and, but you've moved around. And if you have any advice for volunteers who are currently starting or been in it for a little while for the longevity of it and how to stay in, what's your advice to stay in Ducks Limited and keep going? You know, I've never had to think about that because uh, it's always felt so natural for me to just find something to do. You were talking about the the Continental Shoot. Individuals, one of the coolest things that ever happened at the shoot was watching a father-son become a father-son because they learned to shoot together. And he didn't like to hunt, but he liked to shoot. And when you realize that you do things like that as a volunteer and you have no connection with them whatsoever 
and that you see that develop at a distance, you, you always make a difference. I mean, you always make a difference. It is it's just incredible. And, and you touch, like you said, you touch things that you don't really know you touch. You can't put words into some of this stuff. I mean, you just really, really can't. It's like when you look at your granddaughter and she smiles at you. How do you put that into words? I mean, you can't, but it's never going to leave your, um, you, you, you see it when your eyes are closed. You, it's like everybody asked me about, you don't take pictures. I said, I can close my eyes and I can see every moment in my life that I've ever imagined much more vivid than any photograph because my mind's thinking about it at the same time. I hate to say that about photographs because a lot of people make their living doing that. <laughs> but it, it's, it's just part of being a, a human uh, to, to care. And I think we've, to, to wax poetically, I think we've forgotten to care sometimes. And, uh, I've been lucky enough that I've had a family that supported me and friends that have supported me and 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 I never had to ask for it, which I don't know why, but uh, I think if you're generous with your life, you get back a lot more than you ever gave. And that that's what being a volunteer is about anyhow. I mean, you volunteer expecting nothing but getting everything. That's a really good place to stop. <laughs> yes, it is. Thank you, Dad. Yeah, and thank you for letting me be part of this. This is fantastic. Yeah, I figured we needed an outsider. Yeah. Well, and I, it was really good. I enjoyed it. Most of it I made up, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not a word. Thanks again, Dad, for joining us. And Mike, I'm glad you could be here as well today. Also, thanks to our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together. And finally, thanks to you, our listener, for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.